The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Hello, this is Gordon Atherley. I'm the host of the show. Um, My background is that I'm a physician trained in Britain, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent. I worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues in the U.S. I'm retired from practice and I'm working now in research and development of healthcare things. But what I see is family caregiving as one of the most important supports for healthcare right across the world and right now. And in fact, I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, I'm going to introduce my two guests, Laurie DeLilio and Ruth De Silva. Both are mothers, both are family caregivers, and both have the experience of caring for children with incurable, grievous illnesses. Now, I'd just like to say a word or two about them both uh, first before I ask them to introduce themselves. Laurie, first of all, What Laurie described to me as her unexpected journey began when her four-year-old son, Matthew, was diagnosed with a rare, progressive, degenerative disease. He died three years ago. Laurie and her family, she told me, became his caregivers, his advocates, his nurses, and his therapists. And they learned together to navigate the system to best serve their family and him. Ruth... Ruth was family caregiver to both her parents. Now, she, she told me, she continues as caregiver to her youngest son, who, as a result of extensive neurological damage, is mentally challenged, blind, and cannot speak. He also has seizures. Now, Laurie and Ruth, welcome to the show. I've given you the both, both the briefest of introductions, even though the show is about you. You are the heart of the show. The show is about you and the many people like you. So, please, would you tell us more about yourselves and your family? First of all, Laurie. Laurie, please. Hi. Um, When Ruth asked me to chime in on this wonderful broadcast, this topic was very near and dear to my heart, and I welcome the opportunity to talk about my son Matthew at any time. And uh, if, if in the meantime I can help somebody by sharing my experience, that would be great. Um, <clears throat> I'm married, and um, my husband and I have been together for 22 years. And uh, we have a daughter, Caitlin, who's 16. And um, we 
work very hard in remembering our son and all the wonderful memories that we've created over the years. And um, did you want me to talk about his illness? I was going to ask you that after you both introduced yourself. So maybe if I could just ask Ruth now to give okay. a similar background on her, and then we'll get to the medical conditions. Ruth, okay. please. Thanks, thanks Laurie. Gordon. Okay. Oh. Thank you, Gordon, and thanks for having me uh, as a guest on your show. Um, I, uh, I want to also congratulate you on your first broadcast. Um, Thank you. I hope that this will uh, provide some real solutions for, for other caregivers out there. Uh, when I was first thrust into the role of family caregiver, I found it absolutely overwhelming. And in the intervening years, I have learned so much, some by trial and error, and also from listening to what works for other people. And so I hope that I'm able to provide solutions and tips uh, that others can put into practice. Uh, as you stated, um, my primary role as caregiver now is with my son, although I did um, assist my parents as they aged and uh, uh, a few years ago. Uh, I am married to a wonderful man who is so supportive in this situation. Uh, we have two sons. We've been we celebrated 28 years of marriage this year. Uh, our older son is is a, a very real part of our team, although he's away at university right now. And our our youngest son is an absolute delight. As Laurie said, we also have been very blessed to um, be the parents of of such a, a child. And the things that we have learned in our journey. Uh, through his life uh, from birth till now are things that I never expected to know, did not even know that the knowledge was there, um, did not uh, have first-hand experience of any of this. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we just get thrown into uh, a situation where we just have to uh, fly by the seat of our pants, so to speak, and make it up as we go along, and it's amazing um, the people that come out of the woodwork and the family that just throws in their everything uh, to help make it happen and help make life day-to-day work. Wonderful. We're going to ask you more about both of you about exactly those sorts of things in a moment. I wonder now if we could just talk very briefly about the medical conditions. Um, what I think might be useful, if you... Tell me, both of you, tell me the name of the condition. I'll give a very, very brief sort of doctor's overview of what the condition actually is and what its implications are, just so that we've all got a bit of background uh, about these things. Laurie, first of all, what was the name of the condition that Matthew had? Uh, Matthew had uh, what's called a lysosomal storage disorder, and its uh, individual name is called San Filippo syndrome. Right, Ruth. What was the the um, the condition that uh, your your son suffers from, or what is the condition your son suffers from? Uh, well, it, it is important to know that Ryan was born with Down syndrome, and in it, in and of itself, um, <laughs> is uh, no big deal. Uh, it means that you've got a wonderful child, basically. And raising a baby with Down syndrome is like raising a baby without Down syndrome. Um, they are challenging, babies are. And uh, However, um, before his fourth birthday, he was diagnosed for the first time with leukemia. 
and he underwent a three-year uh, ordeal with uh, chemotherapy, and we thought that was the end of that. He gained his strength back, and then before his ninth birthday, uh, we learned that he had relapsed with leukemia again and would be spending two and a half years on chemotherapy again. So by the time he was 11, he had spent half his life on uh, chemo. And the second time around was, of course, um, much more difficult than the first. And uh, the the actual medical name for what he has, it, it's brain damage. The white matter in the brain has been damaged. And it is called methotrexate-induced leukoencephalopathy, which uh, damaged the part of his brain that... Uh, um, control speech and sight and uh, has really damaged his his ability to walk and the, his whole body is just off kilter now. Things are very difficult for him and so he's in a wheelchair and um, walks with great difficulty and uh, is severely mentally challenged now. Um, uh, he does understand things. He is not in a vegetative state. Um, he gives wonderful smiles. His sense of humor seems to have endured, and he seems to um, be taking the whole thing like a, a trooper. And um, because he handles it so well, it uh, really challenges the rest of us to get past the anger and just see what we can do, what he can do, and uh, go on from there. Right. And again, we'll be talking about just those sorts of things in a moment. But um, about, first of all, the San Filippo Filippo. San Filippo. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> words, words are difficult at this, with this kind of thing. Um, yeah. We all know about carbohydrate because those are the things that, you know, we eat too much of. They're the starches and the sugars. But what happens in this particular disease, and I'm speaking generally now, is that the person with the problem lacks the enzyme um, to metabolize carbohydrates <clears throat> and related things properly with the result that the, the particular carbohydrate, which is called a mucopolysaccharide, um, yeah. deposits in all the tissues. And the result of that is damage and distortion of the tissue, stunting of growth, development, limited limitation of joint movements, and sometimes, as in Matthew's case, I believe, mental retardation. Um, mm -hmm. It often shows early in childhood, and so that parents, are, as happened with you, Laurie, are probably the, likely to be the first to notice it. Now, the Down syndrome, uh, as, as Ruth said, this is a common, common condition, um, but it's also due to disorders of chromosomes and the genetic system and it's therefore accompanied by not just the things that are particular to down syndrome but other things go that go wrong as well and in other words there are numerous complications which require treatment now i can't say whether the leukemia was in fact a complication of down syndrome or something else but uh, sadly uh, the methotrexate that uh, he, he was given treatment for has this rare but nevertheless very severe adverse effect of damaging the brain and that was what led to the result of his losing his sight his speech and much of his brain function 
Now, the epilepsy or seizures is also a common complication of Down syndrome. And again, I don't know whether that uh, would be attributed to the Down syndrome or whether it would be uh, attributed to the methotrexate. Um, but the fact of the matter is that these these accumulations of conditions, as happened with both these children, um, cause complications which require treatment and aren't always easily diagnosed or understood. So, in other words, there's a there's a challenge constantly um, from the medical condition itself. Um, what I would like to do next is basically to talk about how you, as family caregivers, have coped with these conditions, both of you, and are really in a position to talk about how others who face these conditions or similar ones um, would benefit from certain types of advice that you received. Now, it's coming up to the time when we need to take a short break. So I just say again, this is Dr. Gordon Affley and my guests, who are family caregivers, Uta Silva and Laurie DeLeo, that you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America Variety Channel. And as they say in show business, please stay tuned. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. What does it take to succeed in America today? In this changed world, success requires a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things, and a new strategy of being and becoming. Benny Harris can take you from the brink of possibility to the path of infinite probability. He'll help you learn to rely on and believe in your unlimited power and potential. As a life success consultant, Benny can help you make the quantum leap from ordinary to extraordinary. What it takes to succeed in America today with your host, Benny Harris. Listen Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Hello, Laurie and Ruth. Welcome back. And now I want to ask you, 
some questions about how you basically coped with all of this. And I have really three questions for you. One is, what were the things or are the things that you found most challenging? Then, what was the best type of help you, you get or you got and who you, who you got it or get it from? And then, what type of help you need, you need or you needed more of and why you couldn't get it? But let's take those, those are three questions, so let's take them one at a time and give um, each question uh, to each of you. So let's start this time with Ruth. What are the things that you found most challenging? Or find most challenging, Ruth, please. Oh, okay. I, I'll divide my uh, answer into two parts. Um, one revolves around an intense period when, when uh, Ryan and I spent seven months at, at uh, Sick Kids Hospital. And then the other is since then when uh, he has had so many physical challenges uh, as a result of the brain damage. Um, to st- oh, during that seven-month period, um, our family was separated. One son and husband at home trying to live a, quote, normal life. Um, mother and uh, sick, very, very sick child in the hospital trying to maintain some kind of a relationship amongst us all um, and certainly as husband and wife, it was very difficult. And I, I know from others that that is a, a constant challenge for families. Um, sleeplessness, of course, was a major challenge during uh, the time at the hospital and, and for the first year after we got home because sometimes meds had to be given at night or there would be fevers when we would be up in the middle of the night and rushing to the hospital to emerge, um, that sort of thing. And And the not knowing... Um, what was going to come in the next 24 hours. Were we going to have a child who was going to have a brush with death again, or uh, were were we going to be allowed to stay at home? You couldn't make plans beyond the next few hours. Um, For a while there, it was hour to hour. Um, The uh, next part that I would add uh, would be I had an older son who, uh, during that intense period, was in grade 8. And I, I talked to him every day on the phone, but we didn't have time together. And that was really difficult for both of us. Um, so what I you're describing... Really... Sorry, Ruth. So what you're describing no, okay. is serious, the serious challenges, not just to the family caregiver, but to the family as a whole. That's right, oh, isn't it? Oh, yes. And if, if for yeah. people with really young children, it, uh, I, I wouldn't even... Uh, I, I would know that it would be even more difficult. Um, right. uh, my my p- mother was also dying with pancreatic cancer at the time. I could not be with her, and I she knew that I couldn't. But still, you how do you you just have to shove it back in the back part of your brain because you can't do anything different than what you're doing. You can't be in two places at one time. Right. My right. that was then. Now. It's the summer months that are the most challenging. I mean, yes, we do have challenges, and people who look at our lives say, oh, how do you do it? But, you know, we've worked it out. Um, That's normal for us. But it's the summer months when Ryan is not able to go to school that we find very, very challenging. How do we keep him stimulated? How does he get input from people other than the family? How, How do we find a group that he fits into that knows how to deal with all his needs? And I, I guess I'll stop there. Thank you. We'll come back to some of those points. Laurie, what's your sense of what you found the most challenging? 
Um, like Ruth, I'm going to also put it in two parts. And um, for for our situation, Matthew's disease was degenerative. So going through all the regression and lo- him losing skills was very difficult because, you know, by the time he was six, he had lost all his speech. And by the time he was nine, he couldn't walk anymore. And then when he was 10, he needed G-tube feeding. And so each every little thing that he lost, we would grieve that because, you know, it's like all of a sudden he can't eat anymore and what are we going to do? And just the whole thing that surrounds the regression is very difficult to deal with emotionally, physically, everything. And um, then that carries over to getting good help and people who are willing to put up with uh, regression because, um, you know, especially in, even in the school system, you know, they were used to a little boy that could put puzzles together and um, then he would come back the next year and that skill wasn't there and they'd have to, you know, start all over again with something new. And um, so that was always difficult to find good help at, at the home, at school, although most of the time the school is terrific. And, um, and then all the medical issues, uh, seizures, G-tube catheterization. I had to do it all myself um, because there isn't anybody to come into the house to do it. And um, I suppose that's where this whole uh, talk show broadcast is going, is what do we do with with situations where it's left up to the parents. And yeah, exactly. Yes, where exactly we were right. at. Yes. And also, it it comes to the third question, which we're not yet up to, which is what sort of help you needed more of and for, for whatever reason didn't get. So yeah. let's now go to the second question, which is what was the best type of help you, you get or got and who did you get it from? Ruth, quick one on that, best type of help. Well, at the top of my list would be my husband because he, he just, he as Ryan has become heavier, he's taking on more and more physical um, the, the physical aspect, he does bath time. Uh, you know, when Ryan needs to go upstairs, uh, he's the one that does it. Um, the, these are the, um, uh, I'll just make a, a list. My, my older son, my mother-in-law, my, my uh, extended family, they have just been absolutely wonderful. So people are at the top of the list. And then, of course, the medical, medical people have been absolutely wonderful. Um, but I, I got uh, help from an unexpected um, source, uh, a support tool that was in development that was targeted to assist caregivers called Mon Ami. And what I uh, found was that my brain was in a fog when I got home, I guess lack of sleep and just too many things. And this device, Mon Ami, helped me to get organized and keep everyone informed about household routines, meds, appointments at the hospital, reminders for everything that one would need in daily life. By In the background, you would hear, uh, it's time to give Ryan uh, such and such a medication. It's time to feed Ryan. It's time for Ryan's toileting. It's time for... So in the background, once the reminders were put into the system, I was able to relax and know that I didn't have to, oh, is it time for this? Oh, is it time for that? It was constantly in the background assisting me to um, be have less stress, be a little bit more calm, and not forget things. Because, you know, when, when you have meds in the, um, to, to give when it's chemotherapy, you don't miss, and you don't have it at the wrong time. And so this right. was a, a real big support tool for me. 
I'm just going to interrupt you on that particular point because when we talk about who, how people might get in touch with us, we'll be able to put them in touch with the very device you've been talking about. So that, that's a very interesting point. Can I, um, Laurie, ask you the same question, which is the best type of help you got? Um, like Ruth, my husband was terrific, and uh, he also helped with all the um, physical care of Matthew. He wouldn't really do any of the medical parts because he wasn't comfortable with that. So um, that was first and foremost in how we played off each other. When I needed a break, he would take care of Matthew and vice versa. So we were, our little family unit was important. And... Um, the other thing is there's very many uh, there's a lot of services out there that are available you know the ministry of community and social services they have money for respite um early intervention services they can hook you up with respite workers and york support services another one that helps with finding respite workers and then blue review kids rehab they also help um they provide respite services and then as Matthew got older and we need more of the medical advice, therapy, that kind of thing, community care access services. Work. Laurie, just to interrupt yeah. you quickly, what, yeah. what's Blue Review? Just to explain to our audience what Blue Review is. Um, Blue Review is probably one of the best um, hospitals in Canada, although I don't think it's a hospital. I know they call it a rehab center now. And um, they provide all kinds of services for, for children and I believe up to 18, and there's even a school there, and they have summer camp, and, um, you know, there's seating clinic for wheelchairs. There's um, uh, all kinds of therapies, music therapy, uh, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and I think the list is endless, and they're world-renowned, and um, they're just fantastic. And there are lo- there's only one location, which is in Toronto, but uh, I do believe that they service you know, outside of Toronto, but Ruth mentioned something to me last week about um, the services that are happening up here in York Region. Uh, Ruth, can you remember what that... Um, oh, it's Children's concerned. Treatment Network. Yes. I'm just going to move us on to the very final question, so we don't... The number three, but we will come okay. back to some of these other things. Um, just very briefly, both of you, Ruth, first, what type of help do you need more of and what, what stops you getting it? And it's going to be the same question but in the past tense for Laurie. Um, th- that would be present tense, right, not, not what... Yes, uh, yes. Um, now, I guess I would have to reiterate the, the summer months and um, now that uh, Laurie has been giving her input about Bloorview, that's something that I would... Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to investigate because it sounds very promising. And uh, I guess the when you have a child with complex uh, challenges that involve medical issues as well as practical, you know, physical issues, um, it, it's it's so important. The stimulation is absolutely so important. But sometimes it's difficult when it's. Um, uh, when the person who is working with the child doesn't have others around to keep them stimulated, if you know what I mean. And so mm-hmm. that, uh, I, I'm sure there are others out there who 
have the same sorts of needs as we do in the summer. Um, uh, other than that, the schools here are just fantastic because the kids are integrated with other children, and I, um, uh, the needs or the the uh, that is the the area where I would not say, gee, we need more. At least for for our son, maybe others, but for us, okay. people are are wonderful and resources are there. Okay, Lorraine. What do you, um, what, do you, what would you have needed more of? Well, I I would think probably nursing care for Matthew, particularly at the end of life. Um, he was uh, having brainstem seizures constantly, and we didn't know how to handle it, and uh, we were forced to take him, of course, but we took him to Sick Kids Hospital, and they kept him there. And then they sent us home. But when we went home with oxygen, the whole spiel, there wasn't a nurse to come in to help us. And uh, I think that would have been very helpful. They, I suppose there's just a shortage of nurses, and um, understandably so, and not everybody's comfortable working with children. Mind you, he was 16 years old at that time almost. So that, that would be our experience. However, okay. I must... Can I just say this one little yes. bit? And that is is that we did, we were serviced very well. It was just those medical components. Great, great. We we will have a chance to come back to what what you would like to see sort of changed and developed. Um, but again, it's the time for a short break. And I just remind you that this is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guests, who are family caregivers, Ruth De Silva and Laurie DeLeo. Um, you're with them listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel and stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. How many of us haven't felt ripped off at one time or another? Don't you wish you had some place to tune in for the answers? Join Jennifer Litwin every week on The Shop Cop. She'll take the time to explain real value and keep you away from the fraud that's out there in the shopping world. Jennifer has become the shopper's advocate, which means she can get you on the right track. Her guests are a who's who in the retail world. Don't get caught making a mistake in this down economy. Jennifer Litwin is here to help. The Shop Cop, live Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, 
letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Hello, this is um, Dr. Gordon Adderley here again with my two guests. And what we're going to be talking about now, or asking our guests about, is the pra- about the practical things that they did or do to enable them to cope, because they obviously did cope. Um, you know, the, story we've, the stories we've been hearing, um, they are very matter of fact in the way our two guests in the way they speak about these things, but these are things that they have gone through, um, do require, impose a huge strain and therefore coping becomes important. So please would you both say, starting with Laurie this time, what were the practical things that you did to enable you to cope in the ways that you obviously did? Uh, For myself and my husband, the most important thing that we did to cope was we networked and we sought out other individuals in similar circumstances. And, um, you know, that, and joining the MPS Society of Canada just so that, you know, we, we got to, you know, know other families and we could share ideas. And that became a, an essential component to our coping. And um, we also built good relationships with the professionals that we were dealing with. And we had realistic expectations of the healthcare system. And we weren't afraid to ask for help. You know, if we really needed it, we would ask family members. And I think that that's, you know, pretty well in a nutshell for for us. Thank you. Ruth, practical things helped you cope? Okay. Okay. Once again, I would divide it into two uh, sections. One was the intense medical uh, time in the hospital and the other one at home. Uh, when we were in the hospital, I picked everybody's brain. Anyone who came into the room, um, well, first first off, I, I, I made sure that I developed a rapport. Ryan was mentally challenged before uh, the brain damage, and so he could not uh, advocate for himself, and so I became his advocate, as I'm sure Lori was for Matthew. Um, yes. And I was told by another parent, get a notebook, write everything down, and I kind of went oh, I didn't know. And so in the hospital, the things you write down, names of medical people who come into the room every day, uh, the tests that are performed on any given day, results of blood work done, any other data that um, happens to be, uh, that you need to write anything down, uh, people who visited, because I found, uh, you know, everything is a blur. You forget who comes in, and it's really important to be appreciative of the people who take the trouble to come and see you. Um, uh, write down who stayed, which parent, or for some people it might be other relatives, who stayed with the patient each night so that you, at the end of the, the period of time, the intense period, you have it all written down. You don't have to remember anything. And if there are any changes in medication, yes, all the medications too. Even though the nurses are giving the medication, make sure you have a record of it. Um, then I would say at home... Um, uh, any once again, anybody who visits visits uh, professional people or otherwise, uh, any phone calls that have to do with caregiving or anything you know about the patient. Once again, data, food uh, intake, fluids, meds, dressing changes. If if 
it's important, um, toileting issues, um, uh, that sort of thing. Any, anything, you write it down. Uh, and like Lori said, don't be shy about asking for or receiving help. Um, so important to offload, delegate. Um, and a biggie that Lori and I have talked about before, um, be friendly to your family and those who are helping out, and particularly the medical team. You need them. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. them to not be angry at the way you're acting. Um, y- you need to be welcoming and patient with them because they're trying to do something in difficult circumstances as well. Um, and That's they will help you more um, yep. uh, if yep. you are friendly. Um, be positive in the short term and long term about what is happening around you. Be realistic about what you can do. Find something to be grateful for every single day. Believe in the power of prayer. Um, And last but not least, make sure that you, the caregiver, are looked after. That means sleep and food and proper exercise. Um, Find somebody, usually in a hospital setting, there are volunteers who can sit with your child for a few minutes, run up and down the stairs, make sure your, your body is in top physical shape. Think about the airplanes. Um, when you are uh, advised of how to uh, do the oxygen, they say parents mm-hmm. get the oxygen first. Then you're in a position to be able to help your child. If you're sick, then you're a weight and you're, you become a burden. So you have to be well. And that means staying away from people who have colds and other sicknesses. You know, you just have to be vigilant and, and really look after yourself as much as you're looking after the patient. Right. Is that right. a long enough list? Yes, that's, that's fine. <laughs> and what it does is it gives us a nice lead into the next question because what you're covering is some of the psychological aspects of the life of the family caregiver. And so my next question to you both, starting with Laurie, is what are the things that brought you happiness? <sighs> well, seeing my little boy's face... That was a you know, in in just being with him because I knew he had a shortened life was very important for me to you know spend time with him and give him kisses because I always felt that no matter what I'll never get enough kisses and um, that was a, you know a big thing and and um, I think that just looking for the positive in in whatever you can and try try to get along with your spouse and be understanding and you know it it will work if you let it work but you have to be willing and work as a team that's what i think that the most important thing is in in coping however that's not you know practical for everybody right right and i suppose in working as a team laurie that generates happiness in the sense of us all pulling together and doing something that is helpful and valuable. Is that right? Absolutely. That's it, exactly. And, you know, and you, the, the whole thing with caregivers, you know, they, they burn out, and it's so important that they get breaks. And right. that's, that's just, you, you have to, I think everybody, if they have a special <clears throat> needs child, whatever, they need to get breaks. Right. And because, ha- like Ruth said, happy mommy, happy babies. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. So, Ruth, what brought you happiness, brings you happiness in all of this? Well, same as Lori. When, when Ryan smiles, the room lights up. And sure does. so basically anyone who has ever worked with Ryan 
they learn that he he has a, a really big funny bone. And if they can make him laugh, even the, the children at school, that was always their goal every day. How do we make Ryan laugh? And so um, Ryan's laughter and Ryan's hugs are, are just so, so big, on, uh, so high on our list. Um, we, one of the other things that I found, uh, it's not so much happiness, but rather reducing stress and, and um, helping um, uh, coping mechanisms, I guess, would be mm-hmm. uh, a couple of things that I would like to add at this point. And one of them is don't jump too far ahead into the future. Many things that you worry about today, can they resolve themselves. They become non-issues just through the passage of time. And concentrate on what you need to know and do today and this week, and never mind about what you need to know in a year's time. That, right. that will come. And the final right. thing that I found helped with happiness by getting rid of um, uh, oh, problems in, in my head was if it's a life-threatening condition, it doesn't help to dwell on the possibility of death. Then you have a crying mother or father in front of a child. How does that help them while they're mm-hmm. living? It just creates negative energy, which takes away from living in the now. So um, what brings you happiness are the same things that keep you living in the now, and that is time spent with loved ones and being a family unit. And um, you don't, nobody knows how long they have on earth. Um, sometimes the patient lives on and uh, someone else in the family dies. So we don't know, and it's silly for us to dwell too much on that. Better that we be as happy as possible with what is rather than what could be or what we want it to be. Ruth, that's very good advice, and that brings us into the last one, question of this particular little session. Um, the advice that you would have for family ca- caregivers coping with conditions such as the ones you've experienced or have experience with. And what I would like you to just say to me quickly is your top three. What would your top three pieces of advice be to family caregivers in the same situation that you are? Um, Laurie, first. Top three, please. Um, Respite. It's essential. Um, Support for each other and your family, and don't be afraid to ask for help. And um, I, w- I think I would probably say exercise and um, eat healthy and get lots of rest if you can. Great, would be great. Top three. Ruth, please, your top three. I have the advantage that I ditto what Laurie said. So very important. The other thing that um, I would say is the writing everything down. Um, yes. And... Um, uh, Gee, you've, you've really, really touched on the, the absolute thing, uh, the, the absolute important ones. The other one is that I mentioned before, this Monami device that I was using. I would wish that on anybody because it, it provides such a wonderful backbone to everything that you do. So there's a place for technology to help the people who are help providing the care to the people who need the care. That's, so, I think that's the message, sure. isn't it? For sure, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, 
what I would just feedback to you both is that this is very practical advice of a very real kind. And if there are listeners who would like to get in touch with us, you will hear how to do that and at the end. Please do so, because I'm sure that both Laurie and Ruth would be happy to hear from you, and if I can be of help, we'd be glad to be. Now, it's um, once again, it's break time, and I'm to remind you that I'm Dr. Gordon Atherley and that my guests are family caregivers, Ruth De Silva and Laurie DeLeo, that you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel and that we do want you to come back, so please stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday. Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, The Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy-to-understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time. When pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance, Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, football fans, are you ready for an intelligent discussion about the Buffalo Bills and the National Football League? Are you tired of listening to talk show hosts that have never played football? Instead of answering your questions, they prefer to listen to themselves. And when they don't like what you're saying, they just cut you off. Well, that won't happen on the Jeff Nixon Sports Report. Keep it clean, stay relatively calm and rational, and the discussion will flow well. Join Jeff Nixon Monday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Sports Network. Buy or rent, sell or keep, move up or stay put. So many questions face today's homeowner or prospective homeowner in today's unstable economic market. Learn about the trends in order to make an informed decision. Join host John Schleimer for Housing in America, a program that aims to take the guesswork out of the housing market and answer some of the questions that have been nagging away at you. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network and stay informed. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Hello, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley here again. We're in our final segment of the um, of the show, and I've got a question for my two guests, which um, 
is a little bit unusual because my question is this. Let's suppose that the government puts you both in charge of family caregiver support. What changes would you introduce? In other words, imagine yourselves to be on the top, the decision makers, uh, the people who allocate resources. What would you actually do and therefore what would you wish a real government to actually do? Uh, starting with Ruth, please. Thanks, Gordon. Um, knowing that uh, this was one of the scenarios that you would be putting uh, forth on, on uh, today, uh, my husband and I had a, a rather lengthy conversation about this, so I cannot take credit for all of these ideas. This is a, a joint effort. Um, one of the things that we uh, discussed was the fact that the family caregiver is an unpaid position. And not only is it unpaid, but so many sacrifices are made in terms of time, money, uh, from a physical point of view, a mental point of view, and emotional point of view. Um, and with that as the backbone for all of this, um, we felt that it was most important that formal recognition uh, be given to family ca caregivers, that they are the pil pillars on which he the health care system rests. For example, you go to see a doctor, you might see him for 15 minutes, or maybe uh, if when you're in the hospital, you might spend a, a nurse might spend an hour with you. Well, for the time that they spend, the caregiver um, has to spend not just hours, but days, weeks, possibly months with the patient. Um, uh, they are the front line. Um, and the family caregiver is not recognized in any formal way by uh, the our health care system anyway, like it is in some countries. And I know in other discussions, Gordon, you had mentioned the UK. Um, the government should create um, portals. That would be websites where you can find out information and uh, training programs to educate people who are suddenly thrust into the role of family care caregiver. And in fact, this can be compared in some ways to being thrown into the middle of the ocean. At the beginning, you don't even know where to turn. You don't even know what questions to ask. So if with a website there or um, a, a, a number that you can call where there is telephone support 24-7 to answer first-level questions um, and people there who can direct uh, the callers to other solutions and resources, because so many different situations exist, uh, the things that we are addressing here on the show today are medical conditions and uh, ch for children, but what about people who have heart attacks, strokes? Typically, they happen suddenly, and you don't have any chance to do any homework on these things prior to the event taking place. And so um, I, that's, that would be Good. my offering. Excellent. Laureen? Um, what's your what's your election platform? <clears throat> I think um, uh, if it, it, I hate to throw money at a situation, but I I really believe that they need to um, fund more. Uh, sorry, fund the community care access centers more funds for respite care for families, both special needs and seniors. I think it's very limited. And um, either that or they can give the families money directly. 
so that they can the families can hire workers. Those, those would be my opinions. And Ruth had mentioned something to me, which I thought was also a good idea, would be wellness centers uh, where families can go and uh, just regroup. Then they maybe have some workers there for their their kids. And that, that's what I I would like to see if it were me. As opposed, sorry for butting in here, but um, yeah, no. uh, I I like that, I, uh, um, Laurie, and I know we've discussed it before. And and uh, places, uh, these wellness centers, it, um, it, there are lots of places where you can go with regular children, where babysitting services are provided. But if you have a child, even even a child um, that is only mildly challenged. Uh, you can't just leave them in a in a babysitting uh, setting. It, you need no. to have qualified people there. And if your child is is severely challenged, uh, good luck. It, you you yeah. need to have a training course to teach the people in that setting how to mind your child so that you can go off for an hour. And it, it it's it's almost undoable. And so if with these wellness centers, if they were funded properly, I think they would be heavily used. I agree. Did, I'm now in your audience wondering whether to vote for you or not, so let me ask you both <laughs> a, a straight question. You know, in various communities, more and more uh, high school kids, for example, are um, encouraged and maybe given some kind of credit for doing community service. Would you see an opportunity for more of that kind of thing, working with family caregivers in exactly the kind of situations you've been describing? What would you think of that? Well, I actually I was fortunate enough to benefit from that, so I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, it, the, the experience of some of the students would be limited. And uh, for conditions like Ryan or Matthew, um, you know, it's it's like they really need somebody with more experience. And the only reason why I was able to take that one particular student is because she had a brother with special needs, so she brought with her some experience. Great footing or a great opportunity for some training mm-hmm. for if they want to go into that kind of uh, work, that line of work. When yes. they're older, and and uh, right. I agree with Lori when when it's a, a very. Uh, uh, complex situation or medical issues, uh, it makes it difficult for volunteer students. But um, if it's a situation where the uh, somebody can be read to, for example, or just play a game, uh, you know, these old archaic board games, <laughs> you know, something where where the person gets stimulation, and that's really what a lot of this is all about: is is providing stimulation uh, to the patient. Because um, if you've ever been in bed for any length of time, your ideas and your whole mental attitude is skewed by the fact that you are in one place or within the same walls or not being able to get outside and get the fresh air that you need. Um, And so I, I would love for the students also to have the opportunity to see that not everybody gets to run around and do the things that they want to do. Right, right. Well, you've got both of you have got my vote, and uh, I hope that these ideas, that uh, these things that you're suggesting, will be heard by people who are in a position to do something, and that would be 
a kind of fulfillment of what I think this show is trying to achieve as well, which is to give family caregivers that sense that they can influence people. Now, I'm going to just have a very quick word about our next episode, which is actually about seniors. And my guest will be Dr. John Sloan, who's just written a book called A Bitter Pill about how the medical system is failing the elderly and also a caregiving expert in providing care for seniors with Alzheimer's disease. So very much look forward to your joining the show next time um, to hear another angle on family caregiving. My very final word is to say a very strong thank you to Ruth and Laurie for all that they've said, the contribution they've made to this program, and on behalf of us all, to wish both of them continuing strength and happiness um, for their memories and for the work they're doing. Thank you very much, both of you. And thank you very much for listening today. Goodbye. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.